ask you to open in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Our scripture reading for this morning is Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark, chapter 4, 35 to 41. This is the word of our Father. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would sit this morning humbly at your feet and listen to your teaching. I pray that everyone in this room would behold Christ in all of his glory and all of his beauty and that all of us would leave trusting him for salvation, him and him alone, the one who, though he has the power to still the wind and the waves, did not use that power to save himself, but instead died for our sin. Grant that we would all believe that and rejoice in that and share it with others. Be with us this morning. Help us. Grant that your word would be preached faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, You know, this morning's text is a text that's just filled with all sorts of tension. Um, Sometimes you have movie scenes like this where it's just filled with all sorts of tension. Um, where a scene will be filled with all sorts of tension. So you have a sort of life-threatening situation where the plane is about to crash, so you have that sort of life and death tension. And then in the midst of that life and death tension, one of the good guys will turn out to be a bad guy and he'll pull a gun or whatever. And so you have that sort of tension. Um, And then in the midst of that, you'll have like maybe a love interest. And um, and so you have that sort of tension as well. All going on in this one scene. Of course, that was complete hyperbole, but you know, I think you've all seen movies where you have that kind of scene. Um, This morning's text is similar to that. Um, You have the obvious tension. You have the life and death tension. This huge storm arises, and the boat begins to fill with water. But then you have other tension in the midst of that. Firstly, there's, for lack of a better word, an identity tension. 
Think of the disciples' experience here. On the one hand, Jesus, by all appearances, lacks the power to keep himself awake. Luke makes this even clearer, actually. He says, as they headed off, Jesus fell asleep. So the disciples would have seen Jesus, as it were, exhausted and just unable to keep himself awake. On the other hand, though, that same Jesus, who seemed powerless to keep himself awake, also had the power to still the storm. How does that work? How is it that this one who seems powerless to keep himself awake has the power to still the wind and the waves? So you have this kind of identity tension. Secondly, you have this pastoral tension. Notice the way their question is phrased. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, the other gospels just say here, teacher, we are perishing. It's only Mark that has this question. Teacher, do you not care? And that's slightly different, isn't it? Right? They're not just concerned about the fact that they think they're going to die. They're concerned about the fact that Jesus doesn't seem to care about that. Now, you know why that's a pastoral tension? It's a pastoral tension because it's related to the issue of assurance, isn't it? Right? Here I am, this is the disciples' experience, here I am, here we are, we feel like we're perishing. Does Jesus really care about that? Does he really care? But then, there's one final tension, there's more in the text, but there's one final tension that I want to bring out, and that's this. It's the tension that's left for us here this morning. And the tension that's left for us here this morning is this question. Did they get an answer to their question, does he care? They asked, do you not care that we are perishing? And the question for us here this morning is, did Jesus actually answer that question? And we'll have to wait till later to see that, but that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Firstly, this theological tension. So reading verses 35 to 38. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I want to focus for a moment on this really curious phrase that, Mark's, that Mark uses. Notice these words. They took him with them in the boat, and this is really strange that Mark says this, just as he was. Just as he was. What does that mean? Why does Mark say, just as he was? Well, it's possibly connected to earlier. Remember, Jesus was sitting in a boat as he spoke to the crowds. And Mark might be saying he just went straight from there, right? He didn't go anywhere else first. He just went straight from there. That's a guess. But we can't know for certain why Mark says just as he was. What we can know for certain, though, 
is at least one thing that it means. And one thing it means is this, in terms of what Mark is saying here, in terms of what's involved in Jesus being just as he was, one thing it means is this, Jesus is tired. Jesus is tired. Jesus is tired here. Luke makes this even clearer. He says here that they set out, and as they set out, he fell asleep. That's a picture of fatigue when you think about it, isn't it? It's a picture of fatigue. The idea that Jesus falls asleep as they set out. Firstly, it's evening. It's not even bedtime yet, right? And yet Jesus is falling asleep. You know that you're exhausted, don't you? If you get home from work and it's like 5.30, 6 o'clock, and you're already beginning to nod off, right? That's, that's, a, that's exhaustion, isn't it? And that's, that's what's happening here. Jesus is falling asleep, and it's not even bedtime yet. Secondly, though, in terms of this being a picture of fatigue, they're not even at their destination yet. I mean, think about that. It's just in terms of, you know, in, in modern terms. It's one thing to get home, lie down on the couch, and then start beginning to nod off at 5.30, 6 o'clock. It's another thing to do that on the bus home from work, right? If you saw someone falling asleep on the bus, you'd be like, man, that guy is exhausted. He's tired because he's not even home yet. And something similar is happening here. Jesus is experiencing fatigue because they're not even at their destination. It's evening. They're not even at their destination, and he is falling asleep. He's having this experience, if I can put it this way, of powerlessness. Just think about what fatigue feels like, right? It feels like powerlessness, doesn't it? You just this is this is your thought when you're tired, when you're exhausted. You just you, and often you say this. You say, "I just cannot keep myself awake. I don't have the power to even keep my eyelids open." I have to lie down because I'm too weak to go on. That's what fatigue feels like. It feels like powerlessness. And that's what Jesus is experiencing here. He is experiencing this sort of powerlessness. And by the way, this is one of the wonderful things about the Lord Jesus. He can fully empathize with us because he knows what it's like to be us. It's wonderful, isn't it, when you share a struggle with someone and you find out they've been through something similar. Well, Jesus can do that with us. Even with something like exhaustion, he knows what it's like to feel exhausted. He knows what, it like, what it's like to feel like many young parents do. So when you go to him and say, Lord, I'm exhausted, I cannot keep myself away, he doesn't say, come on, harden up. He says, I know what's that, what that's like. And that's wonderful, and we see that here. Yet, what's the tension here? As I said earlier, the same Jesus who was experiencing the powerlessness of fatigue has the power to stop the storm with just a word. And you ask the question, just think about it. If he can speak to the storm and stop it, why doesn't he speak to his tired body and say, stop that right now. Stop being so tired. Stop being exhausted. If he can still the storm with a word, of course he can give his body energy with a word and stop it from being tired. But he doesn't do that. 
Why doesn't he do that? There's this tension, isn't there? This identity tension. That's the first tension. Second tension is this. As I say, it's a pastoral tension. Look at the last part of verse 38. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, this must have been a terrifying storm. You probably know that some of these men were fishermen. Peter was, Andrew, his brother was, and they would have seen their fair share of storms. But I think it's fair to say that in their minds, this probably ranked as the worst storm that they had ever seen. Firstly, they use this word perishing. Right? The storm is so bad that they think this is it. This is it. It's all over. We're going to die. Secondly, in terms of how bad the storm is, and other people have pointed this out, it's so bad that the fishermen wake the carpenter. That's kind of strange, isn't it, right? These are experienced fishermen. They would have seen many storms before. They're far more experienced on the sea than Jesus is because he's a carpenter, not a fisherman. And yet the storm is so bad, they say, well, let's go to the carpenter. Right? It must have been really, really bad for them to wake the carpenter up. But notice what their question gets at when they wake the Lord up. They don't say, teacher, do you not have the power to stop this storm? They say, teacher, do you not care? They're questioning his heart. They think that his sleeping is evidence of his not caring. Now, as we'll see later, his sleeping actually points us in the opposite direction, ironically. His sleeping actually symbolizes in some way the fact that he does care. But for now, that's where their hearts are at. Their hearts are questioning his heart, which means their hearts are much like ours. We often question the Lord's heart. We often lack assurance that he cares for us. And that's especially true during storms. Figurative storms, literal storms. Storms come, and we feel not necessarily like God isn't in control, but that God doesn't care about us. We don't necessarily question his power, in other words, as much as we question his love. If he loved me, why would he let this happen? Why would he be allowing this to happen to me? Why would he be allowing this storm into my life? And it rocks us. Does he really love me? Does he really care? And if that's your experience, and it's probably all of our experiences to some degree, I want you to know that that was the disciples' experience too. During the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was right there in front of them, that was still their experience. Does he really, really care? And just think about it here. This is the worst storm that they've probably ever seen their entire lives. And it's not just that Jesus looked like he was asleep. He was actually asleep. He was actually asleep. And that made them question, does he really care that we are perishing? There's a tension in their hearts, a pastoral tension. Does he really care? Now, how does Jesus respond to that question? Look with me at verses 39 to 40. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. 
He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Ask the question here. How is this an answer to their question? Remember, they questioned his heart. They questioned whether or not he cared for them. They questioned, maybe you can say it this way, they questioned his love. Yet in his response, what does he do? He shows them his power. Maybe I can say it this way. He doesn't speak to them in the storm and say, of course I care. Instead, he speaks to the storm and then he asks them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So how is this stilling of the storm with a word an answer to their question, do you not care? Well, think with me for a moment about what Jesus means here by why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What does Jesus mean by faith? What does Jesus mean by why are you so afraid? Some people might say, well, this is one option. Um, when Jesus says that they lack faith, what he's saying is they lacked the faith to still the storm themselves. Right? That might be a sort of more sort of Pentecostal answer, right? They should have commanded the wind and the waves themselves and just let Jesus keep sleeping. That's what they should have done. And Jesus is rebuking them for not having done that, for not having stilled the storm themselves, for lacking the faith to do that themselves. That's one option. Another option, and this is probably closer to home, another option is this. They lacked the faith that Jesus could still the storm for them, and that's often how this text is preached. I mean, maybe 60, 70, 80, 90% of sermons on this text, that's a complete guess, by the way, have this line in them. Preacher will say, do you have a storm in your life that you need Jesus to still? He can still that storm for you with a word. It's often how this text is preached. Now that's a little bit closer, but I don't think either of those options really gets at what's being said here. Because the most reasonable reading is that Jesus is answering their question. They were afraid in the midst of the storm that he didn't care. And the plain reading is, Jesus is saying to them, you shouldn't be afraid that I don't care. Because I do care. But then that still leaves unanswered the question, in terms of going deeper, how does the stilling of the storm show he cares? As I said earlier, they questioned his heart, and the stilling of the short storm show his power. But obviously, given verse 40, it's also supposed to show his heart and show that he does care. How does it show that, that he cares? Go back to the tension we saw at the beginning. Here's the one who has power enough to still the storm, but not power enough to keep himself awake. That's remarkable. But you know what? That's only a small picture of what's going to happen later, isn't it? And what the disciples are going to see later. 
Because the one who has power enough to still the storm will go even further. He'll not only appear to the disciples as lacking the power to keep himself awake, he'll appear to the disciples as lacking the power to keep himself alive. Because he's going to die for them. Because that's how much he cares for them. And the disciples are seeing, as I say, a small picture of that and this wonderful tension. The one who has the power to still the storm lacks the power to keep himself awake. And in the same way, that's, gonna, that's what's going to happen in the cross. The one who has the power to still the storm is going to appear to the disciples as lacking the power to keep himself alive because he's going to die. And the disciples are seeing a small picture of that. And so verse 41, their initial fear is replaced by another one. Look with me at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's interesting, isn't it? The disciples sought from the Lord assurance that he cared for them, which is what we often seek assurance from the Lord regarding, that he cares for us. They were afraid he didn't care for them, and he showed them that he did. But notice what's hap what happens. When Jesus shows them that he cares for them by stilling the storm, notice what happens. Their heart response is not, oh, wow, I just feel so warm and fuzzy right now because I have the assurance that he cares for me and he loves me. That's not how the Lord Jesus works here. Instead, it's more fear. It's more fear. They say, oh, my goodness, who is this? They're not even, if I can put it this way, thinking about themselves anymore, right? Their eyes are totally fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ at this point. I mean, imagine with me just the rest of the boat ride. They would have just been looking at the Lord Jesus Christ in shock and awe. What on earth just happened and who on earth is this in the boat with us? He can still the storm with a word. Who? Is this? They would not have been able to take their eyes off him. And they would have felt, I mean, Mark tells us, they felt great fear. And I think there's a lesson here. The times of greatest assurance are the times when we're not thinking about assurance. When instead we're thinking about Jesus and saying with great fear, indeed a good fear, who is this? Who is this one who had the power enough to control the wind and sea, but who instead of using that power went to the cross? For me, who is this? Believer, he does care. He cares deeply for you. Never doubt that. But he shows you it, not by giving you warm fuzzies. And not even, this is important, not even by stilling the storms of your life but by entering into the worst storm, the storm of God's wrath for you, and stilling it, not with a word, but with his death. That's how he shows you. He cares for you, and he has shown you that already. He does care for you. Never fear. Never fear that he doesn't care for you, because he does, and he shows you it in his death. So rest, believer, rest in him. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we pray that we would rest in the love of Christ for us. We thank you that we can be assured of his love, not because he 
makes us feel a certain way. Not because he does certain things in our lives, stilling the storms of our lives, but rather we can be assured he cares because he entered the worst storm, the storm of your wrath for our sin, and he stilled it, not with a word, but with his death, for that was the only way that storm could be stilled. And I thank you that it has been stilled, and that we are safe and secure as your people, and that we can be fully assured of your love, not because of what we see when we look within, but because of what we see when we look without, and we see Christ. May we live every day of our lives asking the disciples' question, who is this? Fix our eyes on him. In his name we pray. Amen.